I'm Steve Duke, and this is the Two Roads Podcast. Today on the show, we have somebody that I've been excited to talk to for a very, very long time, and that is Kieran Gaffney, who's often better known by his nickname, Gaff. And he is the founder of a company and an event called Shanakiha, which is a storytelling event that you may have seen, you might have been at one before, and they're really, really special, where people come along and they tell stories from their own life. And he came on the show today to talk about his own journey about some of the different things that he's done, how he founded Shanakia, why he founded it, how he made a split from his full-time job into running this full-time, some of the challenges that he's had along the way, what his day actually looks like now, all the cool shit and all the crazy travel that he does with this job, why he thinks Shanakia has been successful. And we've also tried a bit about like his advice for people in full-time jobs who are looking to do something else, because that was the position that he was in. He was in a job and by his own admission, you'll hear it on the episode, he said he fucking hated it and he had to get out of there. And so we talk about that. He's an absolute legend of a person. I love their conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. If you want more content like this, you can go and follow me on socials. Instagram is the Two Roads Pod and on LinkedIn, just follow my personal profile, Steve Duke. All right, let's get into it. Shout out to all the motherfuckers that don't give a fuck about us. Now we here, all right? actually i was listening to this podcast i think it was recorded about a year ago and i heard you on it you were talking about how you were kind of looking for a way to integrate what you love doing with how you love living and what you do for a living and you said that that would be like the dream for you right to be able to get to that point i don't think you are full-time um at this point right but i'm interested to know like how is that journey going for you do you feel like you've moved you know towards that dream there's a horrible cliche that's actually quite a lovely sentiment to it where they say that if you love what you're doing you'll feel like you never work a day in your life and it definitely does feel like that um you know like i just um even my friends often say to me they're like oh gosh like what you do, like what your business is, what your job is, what your day-to-day is. It's just like a kind of embodiment of your personality. Um, You know, it's connecting with people. It's kind of getting people to open up. It's um, bringing loads of people together from so many different kind of walks of life and factions and um, of society and just having everyone just kind of unify over something as simple as a story. Um, and that's kind of the way I've always lived my life. Like I've always just loved connecting people. I loved being in crowded spaces where you struggle to even get a seat where, you know, you're around a lot of like-minded people. And then also just listening to people kind of uh, like just fully express themselves, um, in a world where self-expression is often kind of frowned upon or, you know, has been maybe frowned upon, um, historically. And, you know, it's just been something that I've always kind of struggled with I think in my career like for years I worked in marketing which was good in the sense that it gave me some hard skills that I wouldn't have acquired otherwise but like I knew I didn't love it and I was relatively good at it but I did not love it um and I just was kind of almost comfortable with settling for that um thinking that I just never really would you know be able to do something that actually was what I was fully interested which is something a little bit more like this like media or you know presenting or running events that are successful um and now that i'm able to do that it's quite uh i haven't had a moment to actually appreciate it or reflect on it so i guess that's what this podcast is for but um 
I just am so happy to have gotten to a stage where I can actually stay with confidence that I love what I do. Um, That's it feels really rewarding. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. So, like, you know, I've heard that cliche as well of you know, people saying, like, oh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I've had some people on this podcast, like, say something similar. I think some people listen to that and they go, that's great, but, like, how how can I do that? Or, like, that doesn't seem like possible for them. But, you know, but I do believe it, actually. I do believe it. I just think it's hard to, like, find that thing that works for you. Um, but what I'm interested to know is, like, what does it what does it feel like to do something that is this kind of embodiment of your personality where you feel like you know work isn't work that you know you're not working a day of your life because you love it so much like i imagine that's a very foreign concept to a lot of people it's probably foreign to you know the you of a few years ago who was working in that marketing job and thought it wasn't possible like what does that feel like on a day-to-day basis um i guess like and it's something that even like one of my, like one of my mentors said to me recently is like you know, it, you definitely need to start maybe treating this as a job <laughs> more so than just a hobby and something that you love doing. Like, I think, you know, it can be very difficult to actually separate church and state when you actually love your job. And, you know, because it is so fun and so social and so creative um, and so, like, just kind of people dependent, um, it can be very easy to just not actually have any systems in place, a structure in place and... Um, you know be actually organized and kind of treat the job and the business with the respect that it deserves because when you're having so much fun doing something it can be very easy to only want to focus on the fun the fun elements of your job um and then when it actually comes to things like the admin and the back end um stuff in the organization like that's where maybe i need to start focusing a little bit more and i feel my, I'm like under a little bit of pressure to start treat, treating it with the professionalism that i should be treating it with if that makes sense. Like, I obviously take it very seriously. It's the, like, literally what gets me out of bed in the morning and what gives me a bed to sleep in the first place. But, like, there's something just so enjoyable about it that can be easy to, like, not actually treat us, you know, with the kind of professional decorum and organisation and seriousness that any business requires. Um, so that's definitely something I've been noticing lately. And I had pulled up my socks. And <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think that is the other side of the cliche, which is that, you know, sometimes if you have a hobby and you love it, don't turn it into a job because you might ruin it for yourself and you might take all the things that, you know, were good about it. And then when you have to actually earn a living from it, you know, it can, it can feel very, very different. Um, is that something you you ever thought about or how do you find that balance of like you know still pulling off your socks and being you know the professional business owner but then also not letting that take over either where you're not getting the same sense of enjoyment from it yeah like i think it was something i was really worried about when i went when i went solo with shanakia like when i made it my full-time job i think i really hesitated about doing that for numerous reasons but one of them was because i didn't want to turn something that I got so much respite from my actual job at the time and so much relief from into my job. But then I think that like the pros and cons outweigh themselves in that regard. And like, I think if, if, if you, if you have to think about that, about something that you love doing and that clearly works, it clearly has a sustainable business model. That's a sign that you actually just should be doing it and you should just know how to approach it in a very measured, balanced way. 
um, I like, you know, it's, 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 it's been two, it's been two prongs in the sense that like, because I love it and because it is my personality and body into a business, I can easily spend like 15 hours working and talking about it and literally just wrapped up in it and not actually dedicating my time to anything else. And then otherwise, you know, I can just, you know, like maybe on the other side, if it's a lazy day or if it's like a day that's just filled with really fun meetings and really cool events and workshops that I won't, you know, really do much on the admin side or whatever. But like, it's just balance, I think is key. And I think in order to not burn yourself out with, you know, turning a hobby into a job, you need to have a very balanced approach. I think a lot of people deal with this, like a lot of people who, you know, maybe work in film or act or, you know, have gone professional with music or sports, they just have to be very balanced in how they approach it and like knowing how to switch off, knowing when to turn off your notifications on your phone or your email, um, taking time out uh, for yourself and fully kind of separating yourself from your, you know, the job that you love and that you were happy to do 15 hours a day um, is so key in order to not completely ruin the hobby um, that's turned into a job, if that makes sense. Um, and once again, that's something that I definitely struggled with. You know, I, I think like, you know, for the first year and a half of Shanakia's existence, I was doing Shanakia and a 40 hour a week job. So like I was just accustomed to working until 11 p.m. every night because I'd like work, you know, my day job until like 6 p.m. and then I'd work in Shanakia until 11 and it was really hard to separate myself from that and realize, oh, hey, I actually don't need to do that as much now. Um, but also like another thing because Shanakia is global and because it's kind of growing in so many different cities and so many different parts of the world, it's very hard for me to like, you know, not like be accustomed to not traveling loads with it as well. I like, you know, trust someone else to host nights and stuff like that. Like even this week, I'm in Amsterdam tomorrow. No, sorry, that's not true. I'm in Amsterdam on Wednesday. Um, last week I was in Cape Town until Wednesday and then I was in Belfast on Thursday and now I'm in London and then I'm in Dingle on Thursday and Friday. Like, it's just mental. <laughs> and that's I think insane. this balance is clearly, yeah, it's kind of mad. Um, but like, you know, I also said, if I have a week when I'm in one place, I'm a bit like, huh, this feels strange. <laughs> so it's like I think I just like need to find a way more balanced approach to the way I'm doing things and it's something that is always on my mind but that's a good thing I think if it's always on my mind that's a sign that I'm always trying to like execute control um, over what I'm doing because otherwise it would just take up my whole, my whole my whole life I think like what you're talking about there about having the boundaries um, I think you know it's so much more important to be like enforcing yourself because like naturally, as you said, if you're enjoying it, you're actually going to want to work those long hours or, you know, do the crazy travel or whatever else it is. Whereas like, if you're at a job, like a normal, like nine to five job that you're not mad about, like there's no real fear of you just like overworking because like you want to, you know, so you've kind of got this like personal limit that's always like pulling you back. Um, but like it's it's different when it's your own thing and like when you're super passionate about it and stuff. Um, but, you know, the it's obviously changed a lot from the very first event that you ran however many years ago now, whenever it was. Um, what does the the business and, you know, the, the the whole kind of organization look like now and how has that changed? So, yeah, like, I mean, like, obviously we're still a very small team, um, you know, up until around four months ago. No, sorry, up until around two months ago, it was just me um, running 
the whole thing. And now I have taken on um, two people. So they're working for me like a day a week each. So one of them has come in as a senior events consultant, um, kind of working a lot with my partnerships management and curation and um, kind of scaling up uh, from a festival perspective and then also kind of all the various different venues and um, cities that we're kind of expanding into. He's, he's taking the reins of that. And then um, uh, the other employee is working with me on the podcast production and uh, partnerships management as well. So like, it's been so great having people just to spitball ideas with, to um, kind of lean in on from a support perspective, particularly as an administration support perspective, but also with like both really, really good event savvy backgrounds um and then also like marketing and advertising backgrounds as well and just you know that sense of cohesive teamwork has been quite dreamy because i mean a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to this that like you are on your own and it can be quite lonely um and i think that that's really masked by my event how like you know every event that we run has a hundred attendees and there's like six storytellers to eight storytellers per night. Like it always looks like I do have a really solid team, but then obviously it can be quite uh, lonely. So having a team has been a huge change. Um, also like even, you know, the first year, for example, we would have started off doing our events in Dublin and then we, um, then we, then we, then we started running them in Amsterdam and London. And then we did Limerick and Belfast and um, i trying to remember where do we go next. Uh, either way, like you know, as we started to expand, I was going to all of the events, um, each and every one of them. I flew down to Australia to launch in Sydney and Melbourne, and then got to the stage where I was like, I cannot be going to all of these. I cannot be the face of Shanahia. Like that's not sustainable. So, um, what's been really nice is like people have like taken it upon themselves to host the nights. Uh, so like in Melbourne and Sydney, we have some really great people they're hosting the Shanakiha nights on a monthly basis and like it's so nice I just don't even need to really like worry about how the nights are going to be hosted and how it's going to be carried out because I saw them all share their stories at Shanakiha and I saw them you know carry a really strong balance of being empathetic but also humorous being able to hold the room um so like you know I, I pay them to host the nights they're kind of involved in the curation of the nights as well and they can very much take ownership of Shanakiha um where they are so we have that system working in australia we have it working in um cape town now as well and america we have people hosting nights in new york and cape town moving forward um and amsterdam and london and even dublin as well we have different people hosting shanaki here so that's been quite cool um seeing how the night can take a different shape depending on who's hosting it um that was actually probably the biggest leap of faith i've taken with shanaki because you know going solo with it is one thing um but at least you already know how it works when you go solo with something that's already very much like developed, but then when you start seeing someone else take leadership and ownership of your business, that can be really challenging, like from an emotional perspective. Um, but luckily those people have all been excellent and the nights have gone really swimmingly. Um, so now like, you know, where we're at, like Shanaki when I started off, it was a quarterly event. No, we actually, we refused to call it quarterly because I said it in corporate. So it was a tri-monthly event. Um, and then um, now it's like, Jesus, it's every week. There's at least one, if not two, on in the world. Like, there was one day I woke up at seven in the morning and there was an event taking place in Melbourne. And then that evening, there was an event taking place in Dublin and in Amsterdam at the same time. Um, and my head was spinning. <laughs> uh, but it's great. It's just so cool to see it's taking its shape in so many different cities and 
has such strong following in so many different cities as well and um, generally is received really well across the various different continents and countries where we've, we've done it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, I can see that. As I was saying to you before we started recording, you know, you've got, I missed the tickets for the first, like, um, Sydney night, and then you've got another one in a couple of weeks, and I missed that one as well, right? So, I mean, I'm obviously not organized enough or on the ball enough, but, like, I think it's more testament to, like, how quickly these, um, these things are selling out because of how popular they are. Um, but I, I think like there's lots I actually want to talk about um, with Chanakia and, and 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 you know why why it's kind of become popular and like what you think it's tapping into with people. But I'm also interested in like your kind of personal journey to to starting this and and how that came about. So um, can you tell me a bit about you know the first moment that you decided to to run? an event in Dublin and like what was going through your mind at that point and what kicked you over the edge to say, I've got this mad idea. Like it's a bit different, but fuck it. Like I'm actually going to, I think this is worth a shot. Like, and you know, where were you at kind of in your life and a career at that point? Yeah. So like I was, um, that, it was, it was during the pandemic. Um, so obviously it was kind of like, uh, uh, towards the end of 2021, like in the end, July, July, August, 2021. And lockdown had finally kind of begun to, finish up in Ireland and we were all kind of emerging out of our out of our cocoons and um I remember going to one of the first big events that like loads of people were going to um and just being quite disillusioned by it and kind of disappointed by it and um just finding that the event itself didn't really have much soul or like uniqueness and it just felt very corporate and I remember just being out for a pint with three of my friends afterwards and just be like, guys, I can't believe that this is what, you know, the first big event in Dublin is following the pandemic. Like, this is so sad. Like, our event scene is on its knees and their cultural scene is on its knees as well. Um, and then I started telling them about that, like, I used to, when I lived in Argentina, I went to a really cool spoken word event that I even spoke at. And it was just a really lovely way of bringing people together. And it kind of inspired me to maybe do something a little bit similar, but also a little bit different in, in Ireland. And um, I was like, you know, I'd love to run a storytelling night where, you know, people get up and tell stories. And I was like to my friends, do you think that this would work? And they were just like, normally it would be the people who would take me down a peg and tell me that I'm being way too fantastical and ridiculous. But they were like, gosh, that's an epic idea. And like, we started even just thinking about like our various different friends that would tell a really good story. Um, and like, we were like, oh yeah, like that person would be great. That person would be excellent. That person would have such a good story to tell. And then we started realizing that like, at least in our own group, like 40 of our friends and acquaintances are excellent storytellers. Um, so then I basically just like posted an Instagram story to my close friends. And I was like, hey guys, as you said, like this is a little bit of a different concept. Thinking of setting up a night where you come, you speak, you spectate. Um, and it's like storytelling that's taking place within the room. I haven't gotten a venue yet. Um, but if you're interested in coming, send me your number. And like, I woke up the next morning and I had like 50 people's numbers emphatically being like, oh my God, like, I need this so badly. Like, Dublin needs this so badly. Please add me into a WhatsApp group or whatever. And then one of my friends even offered me like to host it in her back garden. <laughs> and then I went to realize that 60 other people were interested in coming. She's like, absolutely not my back garden. But then um, the Fumbly Stables. I went down to the Fumbly and I said, and this is amazing, it's an amazing um, cooperative cafe and event space in Dublin 8. And the guys are just like, they literally, 
I call them the mothers of Shanakia because they're just so like supportive and they have been since day one. Like I came in and I said, listen guys, like, you know, I want to host this night and I think that your venue is really perfect for us. Would you be interested in, you know, hosting us? And they were immediately like, this sounds phenomenal. We would love to be part of this. Um, and then within a month, we had our first night in October. Um, the theme was fear. Everyone arrived. No one knew what they were getting themselves into. There were around 60 people there. Mostly my friends on the first night, which was quite cool. Um, and then a couple of passengers by as well, like two tourists that were on their way to the hotel nearby just popped in and they loved it. And uh, the room was just like still. And like no one knew what the next speaker was going to tell or say. And like each story was different. And each kind of narrative was different and each kind of you know, approach to the word fear was different. And obviously in Ireland, like we have fear and then we also have that fear, which means the anxiety you get after your night out. So some of the stories were in that lens and then others were more like anxiety related and like uh, existential. And then three people decided to get up on the night, just like decided to ad lib volunteer, which was so, so magical. And then, you know, everyone was just like exploding with positive feedback and like, Everyone, including myself, we were just all overwhelmed by how amazing it was and how how much it worked. Um, and we had a little disposable camera or like a film camera that my friend Jeff took some photos with and we um, made a little Instagram and then within um, a couple of weeks, our next event sold out in less than a minute. Our following event sold out in less than half a minute. Um, then we were featured on I come undone's TikTok. I guess Sarah, she's an amazing TikTok influencer and she posted about it. She hadn't even been to our event. She just got wind of it and posted about it on TikTok. And suddenly, like, we had 4,000 followers and then that just started growing and growing. Um, and then I moved to Amsterdam because I got a job there. And we had our first night in Amsterdam, which is magical. And then our first night in London. And then it became a monthly occurrence in those cities. And then a year and a half later, it just was taking up so much of my time that. I was like, I need to just go solo. And I did. <laughs> yeah, that's unreal. And like, at that point, was it like taking up so much of your time and you had so much evidence behind the fact that like this was a thing, that it was a, it was kind of a no-brainer decision? Or was there like a bit of like, oh, I don't know, like, should it, is it really something I want to go full time on? Um, like, what was that kind of point like for you making that decision? Well, I can tell you exactly what happened. So basically, this time last year is when I was like really unsure about whether I should or not. Um, and I, I was in a job that I, to be fully transparent, absolutely hated, like hated. And I've never had such a toxic working environment, like um, for many different reasons um, that I probably won't say in this podcast. <laughs> but um, let's just say my manager was a dick. <laughs> we don't have to conclude it in the podcast. Uh, but there was like that. But at the same time, um, there were lots of other things. And I just knew that it was something I didn't really want to be doing it for long, much longer. But I also wasn't really too sure what my next step was and I applied for a tech sales job um in Zoom and um I got into the last round uh which was quite cool because I hadn't been working in sales before it was an account executive role for like a really small um uh like it was like a small businesses team or something so it was something that people with letter less experience could probably handle but it would have been really challenging and the interview panel um, they were amazing, like Rob, um, one of the guys who interviewed me, he like interviewed me from the start right until the end. And then on the final interview, I was given the news that I didn't get the job. And I was quite disappointed. But then Rob called me straight after the interview and he said, how do you feel? And I was like, oh, like, 
be honest, I was really hoping to get this job because I'm really miserable in my current job. And he was like, yeah, but like, you do realize what you should be doing. <laughs> I was like, what? And he was like, when I asked you about the storytelling thing in your CV, your facial expression just completely changed. It was like you, like your skin had been discolored before and then suddenly you just lit up. And you have such an amazing concept in your hands. You have such amazing goals and dreams for it. He was like, you should be going solo with this and giving it a go and see if it works. And in a couple of years' time, I would love to invite you back onto my team. But for now, like, this is what you should be doing. So that was a really, like, interesting kind of words of encouragement. But it, it still wasn't enough. Um, you know, I was like, oh, that's really nice. But I still feel like that's too risky. I feel like, you know, I'm really throwing all my, like, um, what's the term? Something into that basket. Eggs into that basket. Um, yeah. And then a um, couple of the days later, uh, we just set up our like mailing list and like we got like I think we had like a thousand people signed up to our mailing list within the first month and I had emailed all of our mailing list saying hey guys tickets for Shalikiha in Dublin are going to go live at let's say 12.30pm and I sent the link so the Eventbrite link is time to go live at 12.30pm but as it happened I accidentally sent the link to 12pm so if you were lucky enough to click on the link before 1230 you would have been able to get a ticket. And by the time the mailing list, people that had clicked on the link at 12.30 saw the event, the event had sold out. And I got lots of really angry emails. A lot of people were like, what the hell? Like I went on the event right at 12.27 and tickets had already sold out. And if this was a regular work mistake that I'd made, like, you know, in the job I was working in, I would have been extremely anxious. I probably wouldn't have worked for the rest of the day. I would have like completely conflated my self-worth and my skill set with this mistake I'd made. But instead, I actually just laughed. I was like, I can't believe I fucked up this badly. And like, I just immediately saw it as a learning. And I was like, okay, wow, that's a sign that I actually love this because I'm seeing this error, which has pissed off a lot of people in a very positive light as a way I can kind of do better next time. And, you know, like not actually doubt myself too much as a result of this error. So that was actually the moment I was like, Jesus, like, I'm being really positive about this because I love it. Whereas if this was my day job, I would have been super negative about it and I wouldn't have slept well tonight. So it was actually then that I sent my notice in like a few minutes after making that mistake, being like, hey man, I'm adding my notice. And they made me work another three months, which is really annoying. Uh, so I basically like worked. Yeah, my notice period is one month and then they asked me to stay on an extra two months um, because they really needed me. And then yeah it was hell they basically like shifted all my deadlines that were six seven months time down the line back to three months yeah so basically like i had to do like eight months worth of work in uh two months timeline uh on top of launching a business so to say my stress levels were like up to you would be an understatement but i got there in the end and i'd say by the time you got out you were so happy (laughs) Oh yeah, I remember being in Amsterdam on, on my last day of work and I didn't go into the office until like 12 p.m. <laughs> because I was just like, I don't need to go back ever again. And I remember like just cycling through Western Park in Amsterdam. I just actually just like put my headphones in to make it look like I wasn't talking to myself, but I actually was just talking to myself. I was like, I can't believe I quit my job. And like, I can't believe I'm meant to go solo with Shadikia. And just like being so overjoyed and like laughing hysterically. And anyone who would have seen me would have thought I was crazy. Because I definitely was in that moment. Um, and yeah, happiest day of my life. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's funny that like a couple of things that you're saying. One is like, 
you know what you're talking about when it's like you made that mistake but because it was your own thing now you like you react to completely differently like i've definitely found it for myself and i've talked to a lot of people who've done the same thing where there's like it's kind of interesting how it's like it's not actually necessarily the thing that you're doing or the event or the you know mistake that happens but it's like the context in which it happens in that can often like determine your reaction which i think is like super interesting and then i think the second one as well as when you're talking about like doing that interview and the guy from zoom telling you like hey like you know what you should do right like i can see how your face lights up i've noticed that with other people too like i did these um i had a few chats with people last week like helping them out with their career and they're like i don't know you know they're like come to me and be like hey i'm thinking about doing either a or b right like these decisions i'm like okay tell me about them and they'll tell me about a and like okay cool and then i'll be like so tell me about b and like oh b is just like it's this amazing opportunity where i get to go and do this and i'm like they tell me the whole thing and i'm like bro when you told me about b like like i want to almost show you the recording of what you looked like your voice changed like your body language changed you set up like you obviously it's more difficult to see it when it's yourself i'm like it's so funny looking in it's so clear and obvious to me what option is actually best for you but like very difficult obviously for that person like in their own head to see that yeah it's like a no-brainer but then it's obviously so hard to actually see that when you're in the position and there's just so much uncertainty i think the uncertainty stops you from going with your gut <clears throat> like you know it could have gone to stuff um and it could have been a total mistake but luckily i mean like this far it, it hasn't been um you know like it, it it's definitely something that i think if, if i had a, i had the benefit that my job was quite flexible so i was able to do it alongside shanakiha and the company i worked for were like very like progressive in terms of people having side gigs and passion projects and your understanding that you might not necessarily want to work in this company forever um, and like that was a really nice thing that you know gave me the flexibility to let shanakiha grow and i was in a fortunate position that shanakiha did grow quite a lot before i even quit you know i think we were on we hit ten thousand followers the day before i quit my job and you know that was a sign that we were at a stage where there was going to be sustainable growth at least you know, in the after about the six months or whatever um yeah yeah and i got everyone has that luxury that already like rather than kind of going out and like trying to take the sleep on something that's like unproved yet but i'm interested to know like um you're saying like from that very first night that you ran like it seemed like it was it was, it was very clear that this had like um, tapped into something that people were looking for. Um, and since then, you know, you're saying like you're, you're selling at events in like minutes, like all around the world. What is it that you think has led to the success? Like what are people looking for that you think this these events give them? So I think that there's two things. I think during COVID, people became very introspective um people had a lot of time on their own they had a lot of time to think about like their own lives and their own experiences and their own narratives and like a lot of people also acted out during covid and did things that they didn't expect themselves to do ever um which in themselves is a story um but on the on like as an extension of that and also as a byproduct of that there became to exist this magical mundane that didn't really exist before COVID. So that, what I mean by that is, let's say you were out for like a walk um, and you ran into a neighbor who before the pandemic, you probably wouldn't stop to have a chat with. But during the pandemic, this is the first person you've seen in five days. So you are desperate 
to tell them something or to hear them tell you something. So you'll be like, you know, running into Kathy from up the road and you'll be like, oh my God, you'll never believe what my dad did this weekend or you'll never believe what cocktail I made myself over Zoom on Sunday. It was crap or whatever it is. And like these conversations just became so much more entertaining than these before. And even when me and my friends would like, you know, meet in the park, you know, when we were allowed to be groups of six or whatever, like we'd just be talking and talking and talking because there was nothing else to do. But I think we kind of unlocked and unearthed this really really important day-to-day uh narrative that a lot of like really great tv shows celebrate like let's say fleabag and this way up and catastrophe and you know those shows that really kind of celebrate the mundane as well um and then you know now we see like some of the most amazing podcasts like you know that like like my therapist goes to me or um and grandmom that talk about you know just like the day-to-day life that we all have lived and it's so well executed um so i think that people are just way more likely to celebrate the relatability and the mundanity of life um and like really cherish it um and i think also just because people have really got to know themselves a little bit better during a time when we had no choice but to do so people are willing to talk about that a lot more um I think like to think of, to like to talk about like the society in a little bit more of a negative light, you know, the, the world did become extremely disconnected and disenfranchised and disillusioned and this space offers a space for people to connect and to really, really kind of feel a sense of community that was taken from us um quite unprecedentedly yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. I think that's I think that's very true. I think there's like a lot of people like searching for that like you know sense of connection and like a sense of community because like stuff have become like so kind of disconnected i guess yeah like, so, like the world has just become so disconnected and disillusioned during the pandemic and you know shanakia just created the space for people just to connect with one another and to like feel that sense of community that was so like quickly taken away from us um when the pandemic began um and i think you know, the one thing everyone was craving in July, or sorry, in October 2021 was like coming into a crowded room and sitting next to a total stranger and like suddenly like meeting new people. And that, that, like that, that cultural shift and that craving and that desire is timeless and it's infinite because we all realize how like fragile that actually can be and, you know, how much we took it for granted and like, yeah, the idea of just like creating community, being part of a community, belonging to a community has never been more necessary. Um, and I really think Shanakia plays a large part in serving that sense of connection and community. And like, what's lovely is, you know, you'll walk down the street and, you know, someone will recognize you as the guy that told a story about how he fell down the stairs at his grandmother's funeral and how funny it was. And you know, like, that will be a really strange way of a stranger coming up to you and recognizing you but it also can be very beautiful and unifying and you know can allow people maybe step outside of their comfort zone with total strangers um in a way that we never really would have done yeah. so before i think that like that kind of craving for like connections you say is like super universal has existed over time but i think we probably have less of it now um than we probably ever did before but i want to know like when you guys, when you when you think about that, right, and you think that's like a core part of like what Shankia like provides to people, you know, 
how do you consciously give that to, you know is there anything that you're doing either in the nights or how you design the spaces or how you pick spaces or what you do around the event to try and to try and foster that or is it something that just kind of because of the nature of the event like looks after itself because i'm really interested to know like what do you how do you think about it and if there's anything you do to kind of help it help people you know connect more into that so it's funny like there's no real recipe but i think making sure that the space feels very like open even by the way the seats are done so we purposely don't have rows of even seats um so that means that if you come as a group of four you might not necessarily be sitting together because you might have to have one person sit in the next row or one person sit like two rows up or whatever so we kind of purposely without it being a very like key component of the night we do purposely split groups of people up um at Shanakia and also like you can only buy a maximum of two tickets per purchase so like people don't necessarily come in as, as a massive group of friends it's very much like small groups of people will come in pockets and then suddenly end up sitting next to people that they've never met before that they've met um so that's one thing I think also even just like when you arrive there's a solid like 30 to 40 minutes of just sitting around having a few drinks and waiting for the night to kick off and then also i think what's really special is like there's no spotlight there's no stage there's no backstage the speakers are sitting amongst the audience and no one knows who that is until the night begins so like you could be sitting next to someone who's about to get up and tell a really personal story or you could be sitting next to someone who's about to get up and tell a really funny story and then after that then you're like oh my god your story is gas or oh wow like i've been in that position as well and then there's obviously there's an interval of like 15 minutes um, where you can go get a drink or go outside or whatever and there's just this like <sighs> cacophony of people just being like that story reminded me of this or going up to each other and being like oh wow like well done for sharing that and then that cacophony even gets louder at the end of the night when we all go to a bar nearby or if the place that we're hosting the event stays open for a bit longer people are just like it, like as I said at the beginning kind of explosively like approaching one another just like talking about the nuances in each story that they that, you know they related to or that resonated with them or whatever um and i think just like being quite easy going in terms of how the night flows is one of the reasons why these you know community can so easily exist um at Shanakiha. and like even in our video i think it's like the, it's pinned on our Instagram at the top right hand corner video and um, there's a snippet at the very beginning of just like the sound of people outside in Thumbly Lane like talking after the event and it perfectly encapsulates that sound of just people just like like just bursting with emotion and empathy and conversation and like just relating to one another's stories um, so yeah like I think just the way the night is cadenced hugely fosters that sense of community um and then also the, the types of rooms as well like the room should very be, feel like a very open space like ideally have quite warm lighting um you know have like a very kind of just like homely living room feel where it doesn't feel too corporate or too polished or too um you know theatrical because then it just becomes a different offering you know so, so you've gone through this journey from where you had a job that you know by your own admission you weren't too keen on um into into doing some into doing something now that like you're you clearly love and like you're very passionate about um, and you get a lot of joy from yeah and so if there's somebody in in that job that they hate right 
like what would you say like what advice might you give to them about trying to figure out what sort of thing that they would enjoy and how to get into that i think like don't be afraid to completely change what you're doing um like which sounds so reductive but like you know i think my like my biggest fear was you know if i was to let's say go into tv or like writing or media which is what i kind of thought i might do but didn't think that i'd make enough money or didn't think that it would be a stable enough position like if i could go back now i probably would have just done that um you know like for example like i was like you know in a marketing job and i was like oh i should i should go into sales because that's guaranteed to be a pretty decent job money wise and financially and stuff but then again like i don't like with all due respect to people in sales, I don't know if I actually would have loved selling technical software to people. Like I, I just, I, I think maybe the the sales element I would have enjoyed, but I think that I was, I wanted to do something that still felt like in that strange kind of Irish CAO mentality, like desirable or like reputable or you know reliable, I guess. Um, I think I fixated so much on like a reliable job and a reliable income when I realized that like there's so many cool creative ventures out there that can still make you put your bread on the table and just pay your rent. And, you know, I think if there's anything that COVID has taught us is that jobs are disposable <laughs> and, um, you know, like your nine to five Monday to Friday isn't necessarily the only way you can earn a living. And, you know, if, if I was to, if I didn't have Shana here, um, and if I did, if I was able to speak to myself, you know, two years ago, I would have said, listen, you should be only doing what you want to do. You should, like, if that's working in hospitality for a couple of months, you know, still meeting those people and being involved in events and, like, you know, being in a space where you feel 100% yourself while you're figuring out what your next step is, do it. But there was something at the back of my mind telling me, no, like, I shouldn't do that because, I don't know, like, the way I, when my guidance counselor told me to always have a job and have a pension, even though I don't even know where the hell my pension is, <laughs> you know, like that that was the only way to do it. So like, I wish I wish I had, or like, not even I wish I had. I just I just I just think that people who don't like the job should not be afraid to completely change their working hours. They should they shouldn't be afraid to completely change the setting that they that they do their job in. Um, you know, it should be a seismic shift emotionally. And to be honest, it should also be a seismic job. Sorry, a seismic shift, like, optically, um, sometimes, you know, you know, and that means if it's something that, you know, might not be something that you have experience in, but is definitely something that you would be happier doing, you should still do it. Um, it might just mean you become very junior. Um, but that's something that will change, you know, ju ju juniority isn't permanent. Unhappiness is. <laughs> if you stay That's a wonderful that quote. I'm definitely stealing that. It's a great spot. point because like, you know, even, you know, if you think about it, you're probably going to work for another 30, 40 years of your life. So it's like, okay, maybe if people are like, oh, geez, but I'm going to go back and start from the start all over again. It's like, well, yeah, but like, you know, it might be a year or two. Right, you're going to spend thirty or forty years in this in this area, so it's like you may as well do something that you're actually happy with. And I also I really love your point about exploring careers or jobs, whatever else it is, that are very very different to what you're in. Because a lot of the times you're in a job and it's like, oh, I might do something else, but you can only see like five degrees left or right of what you're in. Whereas like actually, 
there's something over here that's like just completely different, you know, that you might love. And it might be a, an entirely different way of making money. Um, and so it might seem insecure. And, and yeah, that's a consideration for you, you know, especially if you've got kids and a family, that kind of thing. But like, you know, consider it and like go and explore what's over there. So that at least you know what's over there and you can say, oh yeah, that actually might interest me or, or actually, do you know what? No. Um, but I, I, I th you know, and that's why like, honestly, like that's one of the reasons like I do this podcast and I try and get people from like all different sorts of backgrounds on it because somebody might listen and go, do you know what? I'm an accountant, but I want to be a ski instructor and I want to travel the world as a ski instructor and do winters in, you know, each hemisphere every year, uh, you know, and that's, that's like so different to what they might be doing. But I've got one more question before we finish up. Um, so if we were um, if we were to catch up again, say in in five years' time, right, and we were we were having you know another episode like this, three even three years' time if that's easier, and I had you back on the podcast, and I was like, and I was like, how's everything been going? And you were like, Steve, like the last five years, they've they've just been incredible. Like I can't can't believe it. Like couldn't have even dreamed of what these have been like for me. You know, not just from Shanakia, but like from a personal side of things as well. And um, what is it that you think would have would have happened over that time period? So I think I, on a personal level, I would probably be traveling a bit less so that I could get a dog because <laughs> I really would love a dog. I feel like I'm finally in a position where I can get a dog, but physically I can't because I'm what not. What kind of dog I'm do you not, want? I'm not in one place at one time. I want a Vizsla, a Vizsla and German Pointer crossover um they're, they're they're just the best dogs in the world um but like in general i kind of want to be in a position where shanakiha is a well-oiled machine in like the major cities that it already is growing in um where like you know we have essentially a so far sounds model um but for storytelling specifically taking place and fully you know in place um where I have people leading it in different cities, um, people kind of in my position now, but in three years' time, um, that I trust and that enjoy it and that love it. Um, and then also, like, where, you know, we had such a great year in, in Ireland in terms of our music festivals and our brand partnerships, but where that is, like, happening in not only Ireland, but also the UK and America um, and Australia. And... You know where, like Shanaki, becomes a, has become a little bit of a household name and like puts Ireland on the map at a global level. Because um, right now people know it in Ireland, but I love the idea of the Irish diaspora carrying it and bringing more and more people into it um, on a global level. And you know, God, like you know, if if we were on Graham Norton, <laughs> like or you know, if we were in Glastonbury or something along those lines, that that would that would be a very happy five years time if we'd just done one of those things at least once. Um, and, you know, just just to have that recognizability for what Shanakia does, because Shanakia isn't just me. Like it is just me. Like it has been just me from a business perspective and from like a running and organizational perspective, but it's the 700 people who've gotten up and told their stories the past two years. It's the 12,000 people who've listened to those stories um, and who've bought tickets and trusted in the spaces somewhere where they could benefit from 
whether it's from just having a laugh perspective or a holistic perspective. Um, and, you know, for those numbers to continue growing and for people to still, you know, trust in it in five years' time as a space where they can get something off their chest, get to know new people, have a bit of fun while doing so, and, like, surprise themselves by how good their stories are, that, to me, is a successful five years. Mm. That that will be pretty amazing, I have to say. But, like, if, I think if you were to look at the trajectory... Man, it's hundred percent possible. If you look at the trajectory of like what you've been on for the last couple of years, um, you know, and how much it's expanded, but then also like not just like quantitatively, if you look at like the number of events, the number of people, but just like qualitatively, as you said, like there's like this really sh- there's something in there. I don't know, like you just from even the outside in, in terms of like the strength of like how people talk about the event and like their reaction from it. So it's like okay. Maybe there was 50 people at an event, um, which is a lot, but not like a crazy, crazy number. But the strength of the experience that each of those 50 people had um, is so large that I think there's like there's so much power in that or something. And so I'm 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 sure I'm sure you guys can you, you can do that. You know, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> we'll, keep, yeah. we'll keep trying. Well. And thank you so much for this chat. I know we had like a bit of our (laughs) connection issues, which is all the more reason that we need to do shit in person these days. You know, (laughs) one thing that doesn't exist in in person is lag. But um, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Gaff. As always, if you want more content, if you want to stay up to date with different stories about people about interesting career paths, different life paths. If you want inspiration for yourself, if you want guidance and figuring out what career life path is best for you, go and follow me on socials. Instagram, it's the Chiro's Pod, and then LinkedIn, Steve Duke. Otherwise, I'll see you back here next week for episode 44 of the Chiro's Pod.